0: I am out of town next week, and I am taking the week off, so new episodes will resume on August 10th. I hope you have a great week. Today, I am interviewing Charlotte McGonaghy about Once There Were Wolves. Charlotte is also the author of the novel Migrations, a national bestseller that is being translated into over 20 languages. She is based in Sydney, Australia. Once There Were Wolves will be in my top reads for the year and is one of my August Buzz Reads picks. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughtsfromapage. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughtsfromapage. Check it out. Welcome, Charlotte. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about Once There Were Wolves. It is just such a beautiful book and will definitely be in my top reads of the year.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Thank you.
0: And I just saw that you're the number one August Indie Next pick here in the United States, and that's quite an honor.
1: Yes, it's really exciting. I'm I'm very, very grateful to the Indies for that.
0: Yeah, that is very exciting. I always pay attention to that list and see who's listed. And the number one pick is usually a really good one. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, yay. (laughs) Good. So as we start, why don't you tell me a little bit about Once There Were Wolves for those that won't have read it yet?
1: Sure. So Once There Were Wolves is the story of a biologist, Inti Flynn, who arrives in Scotland on a project to reintroduce wolves into the Scottish Highlands in order to rewild the landscape there. And she's brought her sis, her twin sister, Aggie, along with her, who's quite, I guess, wounded by something in their past that is a bit of a mystery but will become clearer later. And Inti kind of faces a lot of pushback from the locals, so there's a lot of conflict around um, whether these wolves are going to be beneficial or not <laughs> to the environment. And, you know, so when the mauled body shows up, she knows that the wolves will be blamed and she makes a very reckless decision to protect them for better or worse and it's it's a love story and a murder mystery and a story about family and I think ultimately it's kind of a story about not just rewilding a landscape but rewilding yourself as well
0: I like that term rewilding and I'm not sure I'd ever heard it before
1: yeah it's a it's it's a beautiful word isn't it it's I think it kind of refers to returning a space to the way it was before humans ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) So when we talk about rewilding a landscape, we often talk about planting trees or reintroducing a species that has a kind of powerful impact on its environment. And I think there's something really kind of beautiful about the idea of rewilding our, our own spirits.
0: Most definitely. And I thought it was so interesting, your focus on the wolves and how they will impact the environment. And it wasn't something I thought a ton about in terms of returning a particular animal to an environment and the impact that would have on the growth of trees and other animals and some of those things. I loved how you brought it up periodically. And we see daily now some of these ravages from climate change and environmental change. And so it's really important to have these stories out there. And I thought yours did that in such a great way because it's just woven into the story.
1: Yeah, it was important to me that this was, would never become, I guess, uh, a preachy book or something that people read and felt lectured to. I wanted it to feel just truthful and like an exploration of something that, you know, possibly we don't know as much as. We need to know about it. I mean, I originally, initially before I started this project, had no clue about the impact that wolves have on their environments. So it was really fascinating for me to learn about that, and I kind of just wanted to share that in this novel.
0: Well, how did you choose Wolves and how did you choose Scotland?
1: Originally, yeah, it, it was funny. I initially had the idea to set the book in America, and that was because the idea came to me in a kind of amazing rush unlike any of my other (laughs) writing has ever come to me I was just reading an article and by the time I'd finished it I had an entire book in my head and it was quite extraordinary the article was about Pando the trembling giant which is this beautiful ancient living organism the largest and oldest living organism in the world which is a forest of quaking aspen trees in Utah but it's not actually a forest, it's one tree that's all connected by this incredible root system under the ground. But this kind of very old organism is dying due to human impact and the article kind of refers very briefly to the fact that if we brought wolves back into that area where they have been before but they've now been hunted to extinction, if they were brought back, the tree system would be able to come back to life but that would never happen because of the local kind of farming and hunting community. So I kind of knew instantly that I really wanted to write this story about a woman who who is going to bring these wolves back to this area in order to kind of bring this forest back to life, but who would be facing incredible pushback because nobody actually wanted her there. So then I, you know, obviously started looking into wolves themselves and learning about their impact and their incredible power. And I was very fascinated by the response that wolves receive from people. You know, they, they kind of generate these intense feelings in a way that a lot of creatures don't. It's either they either kind of receive huge fear and hatred or intense love so that dichotomy was really fascinating to me and I kind of knew, you know, that's that's what this this book needed to be about. The reason I ended up moving it to Scotland was because I just found that as someone with Scottish heritage myself, I spent a little bit of time there, it was more it felt more natural to me to write in that space, you know, the aesthetic of it kind of lent itself really well to a slightly noir mystery element of, of the book and it felt kind of beautiful to be writing about a space, an entire nation, where the wolves have been killed to extinction and, and then the idea of bringing them back. Um, I, ju- I just knew the place a little bit better than I knew Utah, which I knew absolutely nothing about. <laughs>
0: Well, and they are very different. And the way you portrayed the Highlands and the way I've always understood the Highlands to be, it's pretty remote Mm -hmm. and spread out and rugged. And I think that would be definitely a little bit different than Utah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, It just felt more comfortable for me in terms of my own aesthetic, I think.
0: Well, in your book, the wolves have very distinct personalities. And I loved that kind of getting to know each wolf and you really brought them to life. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I don't know very much about wolves at all. I'm assuming they probably do have distinct personalities based on the way you wrote them. But did you learn that in your research? They're numbered versus named. I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so that that did all come from research. Before I started writing, I spent many months just reading about wolves and particularly about uh, the specific reintroduction program of Yellowstone which happened in the 90s and was very successful. And what's great about that one is that there are all these kind of first-person accounts. Because it's such a famous project, many of the biologists or conservationists wrote their stories. And there were lots of journals. And it's just really rich with information about that project. And I found myself kind of sinking into this world and learning about the sort of, I guess, the difficulty of working with uh, very mysterious and unpredictable animals. The love that these people had f- for the wolves is quite extraordinary and you, as soon as you sort of start to learn about the wolves themselves, you can see why. It's because they're so, so unique and individual. You know, one wolf is not like the next and in a very human personality way which I was very surprised to find. So I knew that I needed my wolves to have these kind of personalities of their own. But it was kind of an interesting counterpoint to that, that they often didn't name them. They did give them numbers and, and sort of pack names but numbers within the pack to identify them. And I sort of I, – I don't know why that was, but I think I got a sense that maybe it was because – maybe to – well – I think for me, I I made my characters kind of adhere to that rule in order to protect themselves from the very realistic fate of the wolves dying very soon because the unfortunate fact is that wolves, you know, they don't live very long. The world is very dangerous for them. So I I think these people kind of try to protect themselves from getting too attached to them and humanising them too much because that's another thing. They They do need to create a bit of distance between them and the wolves in order to protect the wolves because if the wolves fear humans, they're much safer. So I I liked that Inti, my character, was quite strict about not naming the wolves and yet throughout the course of the book as she becomes more connected to them and she kind of can't help herself, she starts to, well, she gives one in particular a name in her head and it's kind of an indication that she's softening on that rule.
0: But I can see what you're saying where you don't want to get or the character doesn't want to get too attached because most likely something is going to happen to one of the wolves, as you see in the story. So, you know, reintroducing them like that or rewilding definitely is dangerous and it's going to be dangerous for those animals, particularly around humans. Exactly. So your prose is absolutely stunning. I reread so many passages. And I I don't ever mark up books because it just can't, but I I really wanted to. I flagged a couple of different sections. But even just the opening line, when we were eight, dad cut me open from throat to stomach. And when I first read that, I had to read it like three times. And then I was like, whoa, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) And then I kept reading and I was like, oh, okay. So talk a little bit about what NT is actually talking about and talk a little bit about that line. Was that your opening line always or did you craft that later on? How did that come about?
1: Uh, yeah, so (laughs) that was a line that I was, I think it was the first line I wrote, actually. It's, it refers to, it sounds brutal. I know it's probably very (laughs) off-putting.
0: Oh, not at all. And I didn't mean that, but I was more like, well, this doesn't really match up with the summary of the book. Boy, I tell you, when people ask for the best first line from now on, I've got one. So, (laughs) but so talk a little bit about N.T.'s condition and, and what actually is going on.
1: Yeah, so it refers to the fact that Inti has a very rare but real condition called mirror touch synesthesia, which essentially means that she, whatever physical sensation she witnesses, she her brain will tell her that she feels it. So, for example, if I have it and I see you get slapped in the face, I will feel that slap, the sting of it on my cheek. So it's a very confronting way to kind of exist in the world it is a real condition which I was kind of amazed to discover um, because it feels sort of like magic in a way but it's kind of I, I think it represents her incredible empathy and that kind of connection that she has both to people and to creatures And so that's sort of what that first line refers to. Her dad. She's she's witnessing her dad skin a rabbit that he's caught, and it's as a child, and it's the first time that she kind of realizes that this condition can be
0: dangerous to her, which is a big theme throughout the novel. That's hard to believe that that's an actual condition. How did you learn about it?
1: Um, It was I learned about it on an NPR podcast called Invisibilia, where they sort of look at really extraordinary scientific things that affect people. And that was one episode. I mean, I'm, I've always been kind of a bit more aware of synesthesia itself because I have a much milder case of it. It's not mirror touch, but it's basically my, my memory is connected to color and texture and shape. So I can only kind of remember your name from its color and its shape or a piece of music I can only get the tune into my head if I can remember the the shape and texture of it. So I I guess I was a little bit more aware of slightly unusual <laughs> ways of viewing the world. And so I was kind of yeah, I was I was keen to kind of write about this much more intense experience.
0: As I was reading, I just kept thinking about Inti and what that would feel like every time something happened and you would have to just almost be on full alert at all times to look away from anything that might cause you pain. I hate pain. I was always like, oh, this would be a horrible, horrible thing for me to have. (laughs) Because I'm such a wimp, you know, like I'm in the hospital and they're like, is your pain a zero or a 10? And I'm like, a 10. And they're like, we've barely touched you. This would not be a very good condition for me to have.
1: No, no. I I think it would
0: be pretty awful for most of us to
1: handle I agree. And and it's definitely the story for her is about how to protect herself against that. You would have to be really vigilant around it. But kind of one of the nice things, I guess, is that she's able to see it as a gift of connection and empathy, as well as just this really difficult burden.
0: And how she's taught by her mom, who's a police officer, to always have fear.
1: That's right. Yeah. I think she kind of, as a child, she starts out quite differently. We see that she's very open and in a way very vulnerable because she's kind of very trusting, sees the best in people. That's something she gets from her dad. And yet she's got this other influence, as you say, her mum, who has a very different perspective on the world and on people, who's teaching her that she's way too vulnerable. She's never going to kind of survive through life if she doesn't toughen up and protect herself. And so when we meet her as an adult, we can kind of see that she's taken on her mum's attitude towards the world and she's lost faith in people. Uh, she's lost her ability to trust. Something terrible has happened, essentially, to change her outlook on life. And so it's kind of story of her making her way back towards trust.
0: Absolutely. And I just felt for her, you know, so many different times as things were happening. But she makes quite a journey and, and I loved the ending. I won't say any more than that. I don't want to ruin anything, but it was a beautiful story. All good. The other thing we see playing out a lot these days is the battle between humans and their impact on the land and the world, and then these things that need to happen to try to save the planet. You know, people who have ideas of ways such as the rewilding or lowering emissions, whatever the various things are trying to save the oceans, there's this constant push and pull and it seems like humans are really winning, which means that long term they will not be winning at all. And so I really liked that you portrayed that struggle very effectively. And I was curious about it because you, you really do portray both sides and in a good way. So it's not like you can tell you think one side is much better than the other in terms of what's going to happen. But I mean, that's something that I think we're going to just be seeing more and more and more of these type of ways that people are trying to come in and take care of whatever the problem is. And then whoever is living there already really pushes back.
1: Yeah, well, it's a really complex thing because we're asking, I mean, obviously, I'm a huge supporter of conservation and rewilding. That's what I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And it's why I write about it. I'm also aware that you know, it's very easy to kind of sit on the side and, and say that we need to do these things when the impact of conservation often falls much more heavily on rural shoulders than it does on urban shoulders. You know, we've got people who are relying on farming the land and live under immense financial pressure and we're kind of asking them to give up their livelihoods and you know that's a it's a noble noble thing to do to kind of try and save the world but we need to be supporting them instead of just sort of expecting them to suffer i think and so i guess essentially you know we all need to now be shifting our attitudes and 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 looking at what we can do differently because we're in a really really bad state and major changes need to happen but i guess i always try to write because these issues are so complex and they really do come down, sometimes they come down to individuals and, you know, people people are not good or bad. They're just trying to live and survive and do their best. So I guess I always try to approach writing about this stuff with a sense of coming together rather than division or blame.
0: Right, and you did do that. And that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about the rural versus the urban. And I guess it really depends on the issue. I don't know, but it is frustrating. And like right now, all these fires in the Western part of the United States and Australia, obviously right before COVID hit had fits with that. So it's depressing if you think about it too much.
1: Oh, it is it is really, really difficult to not become apathetic and switch off from it. But I think we have to be brave enough to not let ourselves do that because that's when you know that's when everyone starts to just roll over and let
0: our terrible governments do nothing. Well, on a happier note, uh what character did you enjoy writing the most?
1: <laughs> um I think Inti, so she's the main character. I kind of fell in love with her. She she was she was challenging in a sense that I I would not say that I'm an angry person. I would say that I'm pretty <laughs> pretty chilled people pleaser in a lot of ways and yet when I was writing this book something came over me and it started to come from a place of real anger and about all this stuff that we're talking about essentially the cruelty that humans are kind of displaying towards the natural world and 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 wild creatures but also to each other this was like an outlet for my own anger in a way and Inti became I guess a bit of a mouthpiece for that and so there was a real thrill for me maybe for the first time in my life writing such a strong fierce furious woman Um, it was liberating and I just found that I loved that I could have her say the things that I wish I could say, (laughs) but never would. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she was great. I I really enjoyed writing her, and you know, maybe she won't appeal to a lot of readers. She might be too (laughs) brittle or um, kind of confronting in a way. I think you know, if you stick with her, she's she has immense compassion um, and courage, as well as this kind of attitude.
0: <laughs> I definitely think she will appeal to readers. I had your book on my radar and I had it and it, you know, it was on my list to read. And my friend Anne Glasgow read it and messaged me and she's like, you need to put every other book aside and pick up this book and read it. And so I did. And I just said to her, thank you so much because I just absolutely loved it. And I think that's a response that you're going to get from readers. I mean, that's what you got from booksellers.
1: Oh thank you. yeah, that's that really that's very lovely and exciting to hear.
0: Well, tell me about the title and cover. I always love to talk about those because I think so much goes into them and often more goes into them than readers realize.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, because we actually had a few rounds of cover designs before we reached this one. and it's just gorgeous. I mean, I can't at this point, um, the art designer sent me two two beautiful covers. Um, that I needed to choose between and the other one was kind of another gorgeous Scottish landscape. But there was something about this cover that just really drew me into these these woods. They were kind of dark and scary but also very inviting in a strange way. So, yeah, that it, it just felt kind of perfect in that sense. And the title was also something that we took a little while to come to I had a, an original working title, which was called Creatures All. I think it, yeah, it just didn't quite work as as strongly as we wanted it to. And there was, I think, we, All Creatures Great and Small was going to get released <laughs> at the same time. So we thought, oh, we should just come up with something different. And so we sort of all racking our brains for a while and sending each other ideas, and none of them felt quite right. And then I just, yeah, just one. I think it was. A nighttime and I was just lying in bed and it just came into my mind and lodged there and never left. So that's how we came to that.
0: Well, what about what you're working on now? Would you like to talk about that?
1: Uh, yeah, I can tell you briefly. I don't have a huge lot. I'm still very much in a space of figuring out what it is, but essentially it's a, it's a novel set on a sub-Antarctic island about a little family of caretakers of this island and a woman washes up on shore and they don't know who she is or why she's there and there's something quite mysterious about her and there's a lot of intrigue around what she's doing there and essentially it's a story about I guess what it means to raise children in a dying world and all the things that we choose to save and why
0: well that sounds wonderful and i'm a forever fan i need to go back and read migrations and then i will be on the lookout for that one when it makes its way into the world great (laughs) well before we wrap up what about what you've read recently that you really liked
1: the two most recent books that i've kind of really enjoyed were one two three by laurie frankel and Nina Lacour's first adult novel, Yerba Buena, which I just read an arc of. So that one's not quite out yet, but it's it will be soon. And they're both just really warm-hearted, generous, sweet novels, um, which felt quite nourishing at this, this time in the world to be reading. So I would highly recommend both of
0: those. I have one, two, three sitting on my bedside table, actually, and I've heard nothing but great things about it. And I don't know the other one. I'm going to have to look for it. Well, thank you for your time, Charlotte. I'm so happy that you came on the Thoughts From a Page podcast and that we got to talk about Once There Were Wolves. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time.
1: Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lovallo,